Hey, good morning, Miss Yoday. We got to go back to St. Corinthians. I got some reading for you to do. But this is an ESV Bible, so I have the NIV written over here. So we are going back to 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 1 through 10. Let's start in verse 1. I must go on boasting, although there is nothing to be gained. I will go on to visions and revelations from the Lord. I know a man in Christ who 14 years ago was caught up in the third heaven. Whether it was in the body or out of the body, I do not know. God knows. And I know that this man, whether in the body, apart from the body, I do not know. But God knows. Was caught up to paradise and heard inexpressible things. Things that no one is permitted to tell. I will boast about a man like that. But I will not boast about myself. Except about my weakness. Even if I should choose to boast, I would not be a fool because I would be speaking the truth, but I refrain so no one will think more of me than is warranted by what I do or say, or because of these surpassingly great revelations. Therefore, in order to keep me from becoming conceited, I was given a thorn in my flesh, a messenger from Satan, to torment me. Three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it away from me, but he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore I will boast all the more gladly about my weakness, so that Christ's power may rest on me. That is why, for Christ's sake, I delight in weakness, in insults, in hardship, in persecution, in difficulties. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Jonathan Sanderson. We always love a bit of Jonathan Sanderson in the morning reading our text, so appreciate that and thankful for all the ways that different people are um, participating. And we had our reading this morning from 2 Corinthians chapter 12, which is where we'll be today. Um, and I want to start out as we look at, to this passage with a question. Um, and the question is, what gives you credibility? Just want you to think about that for a minute. What do you think gives you credibility? I think culturally, maybe education or physical beauty and strength, money gives us credibility or maybe some mad skills on TikTok. Like lots of things culturally give us um, credibility. Sometimes within the context of our families, success or good behavior can give us credibility. And then thinking personally, like what gives us credibility personally? And sometimes it can include our faith, like our spiritual life and the, the validity of it or the robustness of it or the connectedness of it is what we view gives us our credibility. And as we've been looking at this letter that Paul is writing to the Corinthians, and the Corinthian church had things that they believed gave them credibility, kind of similarly to us, culturally and spiritually. And as we listen to that passage that Jonathan just heard, it can be a little confusing to our ears. Paul says he's caught up into the third heaven and he's seeing these things and all of that, as we read it, can feel a little unfamiliar and confusing, which is why it's important that we think about the context in which Paul is writing. And so in this context, he's writing to the Corinthians who... Um, look to their spirituality as a way not just to give themselves credibility, but their notion of spirituality is actually what makes them superior. 
in the world, superior in the place in which they were at that time. And chapter 12 follows chapter 11, where these leaders or these super apostles, the legit ones in their crew, have been talking about the things that kind of give them credibility. And so Paul says, are they Hebrews? So am I. Are they Israelites? So am I. Are they Abraham's descendants? So am I. Like they're boasting about these things. And so Paul writes a letter and he's like, so am I. So what? That gives them credibility or a sense of superiority. He's like, I could boast about those things too. And so then as he talks about this vision that he's having or these dreams that he's having, these spiritual or kind of super apostles, the super legit ones in the crew, like I just said, they're the ones that are having these visions and revelations. And then Paul wants to say in this moment, like, so do I. And then he says in verse 6, but I won't boast about that. Even though to do so would be truthful, like I could boast about that because I have had these pretty epic spiritual experiences, but I won't. And then he says, why? He says, so that no one will think more of me. No one will credit more to me than what they see and hear about me. So Paul is wanting to align this community back and back on track to reroute them and ground them in this kind of swirl of culture and personal and like community boasting about their credibility and their superiority. Paul wants to realign them and ground them. And I think we need that too. We need rerouting and grounding sometimes in the swirl of things that we would use to give ourselves credibility, or even that we would use to give ourselves a sense of superiority over others. And so he acknowledges the greatness of his experience. Like he doesn't undermine that he's had these really significant spiritual moments and connections with God. But the point that he is trying to make is that these kinds of things don't make people superior or special. And honestly, it's kind of amazing what we as humans use to make ourselves feel a little superior or a little special. In this moment, the Corinthian church is using their spirituality, their faith. And they're trying to live inside what they see them like this protection of pride. They're building this kind of protection of pride around themselves. And Paul names that that is also a temptation or it would be possible for him to, to live inside of that bubble of pride. They could just kind of puff himself up inside of it. That he too has the possibility of becoming conceited because of some of the spiritual experiences that he's had or from his family lineage. But then he writes, but to keep him from that, there's been this thorn in the flesh that has embedded itself in him. And as you read commentaries, you'll see it's not really clear what that thorn in the flesh was. It could have been something physical. It could have been like circumstantial. We don't know. But it does speak of having its origins in evil. It's a messenger of Satan. And it says that it literally comes to harass. So basically what this thing is doing 
It's like hitting him. Like the, the notion of this word here is like something violently hitting where the knuckles go like deep inside you and it creates sharp pain. And so sometimes they say like this notion of the, the thorn, it could be, it would look a bit more like a tent peg. I think in our, in our, we have like little roses and there's this little thorn and oh dear, Paul, you have a thorn in your flesh. No, let's, like we want to be, the vivid language here is it's kind of like a tent peg that is getting like busted into his skin. And it's kind of confusing and unsettling when you kind of see the, the vibrancy of what it is and the pain with which this thorn is in him and the harassing nature of what is happening with that. And so what are we to make of it? And Paul explains what to make of it in his response. Like, what did he do when he knows that he feels the temptation to this pride, but then he's experiencing what he would name as like weakness, fragility, his own humanness. He tells us what he does. He pleaded for it to be taken away. He prayed. Pleaded that it would be taken away. It's this prayer of desperation. Right? And anyone close to God or with legit faith, like surely if Paul who amounts to anything as a leader, God would listen to him and say yes. But we see that even as Paul writes this, he undermines himself again. This community that he, he was writing to like, had pride in their own miracles and thing, them getting answers to prayer. And Paul says that he didn't get the answer that they might assume he should get if he was spiritual or superior you know, of course, God's going to listen to him and answer yes. But instead, God says, the Lord says, my grace is sufficient for you. My power is perfected in weakness. Or a different translation, my grace is enough for you. My power comes to perfection in weakness. And I think this statement can land inside of us um, depending on how we view weakness. We've talked about what culture says gives credibility. Now I want you to think about weakness. What does culture tell us about weakness? Think about that. What does culture tell us about weakness? Think honestly about that. What did your family teach you about weakness? What did you grow up believing about weakness? What do you personally believe about weakness? Honestly. What do you personally believe? It could, you could feel it in your body or it may be something that you think. Like when you think of weakness and fragility, what do you believe about it? What do you feel about it? Culturally, when you're weak, you're usually looked down on. And personally, when we're weak, we often look down on ourselves. We hold ourselves or others in contempt. Most of the time, we don't like weakness. It feels uncomfortable at best. 
We do everything we can to get away from it. So to those of us who struggle or are uncomfortable with weakness, these words are shocking. They are shocking. And they would have been shocking to the Corinthian church too. But these words, they sum up what Paul has been driving at throughout his whole letter. And here he drives it home again. He says there's all kinds of spiritual experience, but he knows that the most important thing isn't spirituality or anything else that he might try and adorn himself with to make that look of credibility or significance. Whether that's fancy titles or fancy words or fancy paychecks, and that's what the Corinthian church thinks makes them credible. He is pushing the Corinthians to see something differently, see the world differently, see the world through the lens of the kingdom of Jesus, see the world through the reality of Jesus. And there's an important point that they keep missing over and over and over and over again. And it's that it's God's grace that is sufficiency. God's grace that is the enoughness, that brings the enoughness with it and brings the enoughness to us. So within the context of grace, you don't have to pull yourselves up by your bootstraps. You don't have to have any add-ons or pull things over you in order to be enough. That's the reality of Jesus. That's the reality of what it means to be in proximity to Jesus. It's the reality of understanding the kingdom. And so the question he keeps asking the Corinthians, why is it so humiliating to you when you experience suffering? Why is it so humiliating to you when, it's, when things are not successful? Why is it so humiliating to you when you have to admit your own fragility? Why is it so humiliating in the context of the story that you believe, the person that you're trusting in, the story of Jesus? Because Jesus declares that you are who God says you are, that you are who God loves, that you belong, that you have value, that you are seen and you are wanted. And these are the things that are true about you. You are who God says you are. And so don't buy into the lie, Corinthian church, Missio church, community outside of Missio, that you need more. Or that things like suffering or insignificance or weakness make you less. You are who God says you are. And so the Lord says, my grace is enough for you. It's enough. And my power, my power comes to perfection and weakness. And so let's be clear here that Paul is speaking into a context where people feel strong. And so that kind of vocabulary feels uncomfortable, but to the one who feels weak, 
the one who knows a sense of their own weakness, these are probably some of the most comforting, reassuring, and healing, steadying words that the Bible offers. My grace is sufficient for you. My power is perfected. It comes to perfection in your weakness. To those who feel weak, those words are comforting. Those words are steadying. Those words are reassuring and life-giving. And those words so much so that Paul kind of gets up on his soapbox next. Soapbox. He says, therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses so that Christ's power may rest on me. That is why, for Christ's sake, I delight in weaknesses, in insults, in hardships, in persecutions, in difficulties. For when I am weak, then I am strong. And you're like, whoa, Paul, going to delight in your weaknesses? I don't know if I'm that far. But it's like he gets a hold of something and he wants us to get a hold of it. And then he gets up on this thing and he just can't help himself. I'm going to boast about all the more gladly about my weaknesses. I think that comes from a person who understands their own fragility. Isn't ashamed of it. And there's a connection that Paul is making here between weakness and strength. And he ties it to the power of Christ to Jesus specifically in verse 9. That's why for Christ's sake, I delight in my weaknesses so that Christ's power might rest upon me. So let's talk about the power of Christ. Christ's power, his power and human power are not the same thing. The power of Christ has been demonstrated and resting on Paul. And it's the same kind of power that we see in Jesus. The power that Paul is writing about throughout this letter is the same power that we can read in the Gospels as demonstrated in the life of Jesus. It's the power of humility. It's the power of loving enemies. It's the power that lets people choose, that doesn't demand or control or force change. It's the power that forgives. It's the power that trusts. It's the power that gives and patiently endures. It's the power that stays. That's the power that we've seen demonstrated in Paul and the power that comes through the power of Christ. Humility and loving enemies and enduring and staying. It's patience and kindness and goodness and faithfulness and all of those things. That's the power that Paul is talking about. And we like the sound of all of that, right? Sounds so good. But honestly, that kind of life doesn't always look or feel impressive. We like the sound of it, but it's very uncomfortable to live. Just got to be real about that, right? It is uncomfortable to live that kind of power. And sometimes it's not only uncomfortable, it is desperately difficult 
But within the discomfort, in the moments where it is desperately difficult to forgive or to love an enemy or to patiently endure or to enact humility to somebody that is being cruel, we are simply asked to be honest about our weakness, our frailty, and our fragility. When it becomes desperately difficult or uncomfortable, we're just simply asked to be honest about our weakness. And then in our honesty, we drop down into the knowing. Knowing that we are who God says that we are. Knowing that we are loved by a God who loves unconditionally knowing that we have value and that we are seen and that we are wanted. And it's our weakness and our fragility that helps us drop down into that reality. And there's not a person on the planet right now that is free from instability, this global instability. And we're kind of all in this weakness together, the weakness of what is this pandemic and how does it affect us? And it calls out of us our human frailty and weakness. Which is why as the people of Jesus, we need the freedom and the permission to drop down and be held by a powerful love that is bigger than our weakness. Bigger than our failure, bigger than our fragility. And as we drop down, we're held. We are held by that love, by that consistency. And being held by that, then it spills out into the world around us. It's like a pool, you know, when you drop down into the pool and the pool just spills out. Like that's what happens when we drop down into the deep knowing of who God says that we are. Suddenly, like it spills out over into the world. We are not the source of that grace or that love, but when we drop down into it, spills out into the world around us become the vessels out of which it spills out, the vessels that are cracked and broken and fragile. And it's there where I think Paul gives us a little winky wink. I know who you are. You know who you are. Let's just be honest about it and rest in something bigger than ourselves. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weakness so that Christ's power may rest on me. That is why, for Christ's sake, I delight in weaknesses, in insults, in hardships, in persecutions, in difficulties. For when I am weak, when I drop down into the deep knowing, the place of grace that tells me who I am. When I drop down into the place of God's good grace where I know that I am loved and I am valued and I am seen and I am wanted. For when I am weak, when I drop down, then I am strong. Missio, you don't have to clothe yourselves with things that you think give you credibility. 
God's grace already determines who you are. Valued, wanted, loved. And your weakness and your fragility is an invitation to drop down. And in dropping down to let what you know to be true spill out into the world around you. So I'm going to pray and I'm going to hold silence at the beginning of this prayer. Maybe there's a place in your life where you know you hold fragility and weakness. Just name it. Be honest about it. You can do it out loud in your living room. Let it be an opportunity where you drop down and you receive what is true of you. Grace. A God who sees you, who loves you, who values you, who wants you. His grace is sufficient and his power is perfected. It rests on you in that place of weakness. Let's pray. Jesus, I, um, I ask today that even though we can't be together in this room, that together we would name, we wouldn't be holding in contempt our places where we feel a little wobbly or we feel a little weak, or we feel a little fragile, but today we would, like Paul, name those things gladly. And so I pray that today in our living rooms we do that out loud, or today in a walk we do that out loud, that we would name the things that, that we feel weak in. We wouldn't have to hide those things or pretend they're not there or worry about them. But instead, we'd give ourselves permission to be seen in them. And Lord, in our weakness, we drop down into the knowing. Knowing that we are seen and loved and valued and it's not our weakness can't erase that from us. But it's almost like the place out of which we kind of do drop to our knees, that weakness, and help us to know where we drop to. We drop to that knowing of your grace and in your grace you sufficiently bring about or perfect the weakness that we think we hold. And so today would you call us back home to you. Home to that place of rest. Home to that place of knownness so that we're there we can find our strength. Find our strength in being identified, being rooted and grounded in what you say about us. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. On the night that Jesus was betrayed, he broke bread and he dipped it in the wine. And then he extended his hand of grace and love to his friends around the table and he does the same to us, Monsieur. So wherever you are, we take communion together as a, as a picture of Christ's invitation to us to his table, to belonging. So do this together with me.